And welcome back, everyone, to yet another edition of Going for Two, presented by our good friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host of this show. My name is Matt Brown. I publish the Extra Points newsletter. I'm based here in absolutely beautiful Chicago, Illinois. I'm joined here, by, as as always, by Brian Fisher, my colleague and co-host of uh, the D1 Ticker Extended Universe. Brian, it is now, we've, we've done, what, four weeks of college football. In the last two midweek shows that we've done, we sat down because somebody got fired. And lo and behold, it's uh, recording this here on a Tuesday afternoon, and some more people got fired. It's still not October. We're, we're operating on our, this is our, our third now, uh, not just FBS opening, but P5 opening, right? Um, third Power 5 opening in a row, and uh, I believe I, I posed the question to you if, if there would be an opening this weekend, and you, you kind of demurred there, and then, you know what, uh, lo and behold, uh, Georgia Tech uh, moves on from Jeff Collins. So, yeah, busy week on the coaching carousel, such as such as it is, but uh, this, that's kind of life nowadays. And, you know, speaking of which, I mean, you had a great thing on extra points. A lot of these ADs firing their coaches in September, you know what, this is a decision that should have been made well before today. Uh, and it's funny because... I was kind of inferring this when I was, I've been making this argument about, hey, if you fire somebody September 15th, you should have done something before. And the question I've been positing these past two weeks is, well, what are you going to do differently because your process before gave you the wrong answer? Well, Georgia Tech's case, the answer is, well, we fired the guy that made that decision too. And and this is not that, uh, I wouldn't say that you should do this for Nebraska because, you know, Trevor Alvarez has been there for eight months. I am saying you should probably do this for Arizona State, but for different reasons. But Georgia Tech has decided to completely clear house. Uh, Todd Stansbury is gone. They're going to allegedly, uh, at least the plan, as I understand it today, based on the university president, looks like read from an oak card and then exit staged, uh, you know, bounced from the stage. So we're going to try to get an AD first, and then we're going to get a new coach. And this is a unique situation, I think, in a lot of respects. And I do want to spend some time talking about the AD chair. I want to talk about where you might go from the coaching search, although I generally think that's the least interesting part of these things because that's what everybody else on the internet does. Why don't I, I want to start maybe with this. The entire general thesis of the Jeff Collins era, as I understood it from an idiot outsider, was you want to have a guy come in here and talk about rebuilding a brand, right? Nope, Georgia Tech under Paul Johnson was a lot of things. It was beloved by college football hipsters and nerds and, and film people. It wasn't cool. They weren't recruiting at an especially high level, and that bothered a lot of people because Georgia Tech, in case you are unaware, is in Atlanta, one of the greatest concentrations of college football talent in the entire country. And they were getting out recruited by very ambitious Mountain West programs, essentially. So you have this guy come in who is Mr. Waffle House, Mr. Atlanta, building the, you're doing everything about talking about, about enhancing the school's brand and, and uh, exposure and presence at Atlanta and everything's Atlanta this. And things didn't work out. So I, I may ask you this. Do you think that that calculus was wrong and the execution just didn't work out? Or was it a bad idea in the first place? No, I think the, uh, you know, I mean, it's just so difficult to kind of move away from that that triple option that uh, Paul Johnson was, was running. You know, you, you're talking about wholesale roster changes um, that, that you kind of have to go through. And, and you're right, you know, th there was kind of the thinking that, you know what, let, let's let's juice this brand up. You know, like we, we are in this great location. Why, why are we kind of falling behind? And 
Um, you know, I, th- I think Jeff Collins had had some good ideas surrounding that. I think the execution was a little bit lacking, and, and honestly, it was kind of brand building before there was any substance to kind of put behind that brand. You know, I, I think that was kind of the the biggest thing that that I noticed is is it's it's great that you're out there and you got a bunch of phones and you're you're being crazy with Waffle House and you're you're you got these hats and you're you're doing all these things and uh, kind of gimmicky and and you just you just kind of saw that as as the tenure progressed, kind of fade away, um, just because there was no substance behind it. Yeah. And I think people kind of saw right through that, and that was that was part of the issue. It, this is a results-driven business, and there were no results there at, at Georgia Tech. And and if anything, they 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 kind of got worse, you know, especially compared to some of their ACC peers. Yeah, those blowouts, those not being competitive in those games, that 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 hurts the brand more than anything. And, and I think Georgia Tech kind of came around to that idea. You can't meme your way out of going four and eight and being a kind of boring four and eight. And it, it's funny you mentioned, hey, listen, the transition out of triple option is difficult if you're trying to run something very different. I saw David Hale over at ESPN make this point. I hadn't thought about it this way before, but it makes a ton of sense. The timing for all of this was also terrible because if you are moving away from a triple option oriented offense or an air raid offense or something or a run and shoot or something else where your roster is very scheme oriented, it's a little bit easier to do that in a post-transfer portal era where you could potentially turn over 20% of your roster in one year. And that wasn't what Georgia Tech could do. So it took them, as I under, you know, two years to kind of rechange the roster. And then the team sucked. And then the portal opened. And just as their best skill position players were kind of maturing, they all left. And because the team had been asked for the last two and a half years, the business, but they couldn't meme their way into having any juice to bring people in from the portal. Um, and that's not necessarily Jeff Collins' fault. But you're right. Results, results-driven business. Like, there's there's something to the fact that this, this could not have been transition and how everything was set up. It wasn't really timed right. Is there something to that, right? I, I think so. You know, you, you look at what uh, Lincoln Riley has been able to do and bringing in 25, 26 transfers, you know, yeah. and, and really being able to flip a roster that used to win four wins to now, let's face it, they're in college football playoff contingent. You know, I think the the timing of, of a roster flip has changed dramatically, not just because of the fact that you can get into the portal, but because of the roster flexibility now is, is so much greater. You know, you used to have that that hard cap of, of 25, and that really kind of limited your flexibility because you, you did want to build towards the future, even if you wanted to, to kind of make some, some roster adjustments and, and and maybe beef up in certain positions that uh, were under recruited with uh, your predecessor but now it, it, it's so much easier now you can change out an entire position group if, if you want you know like like that that is uh, uh, capable of uh, some of these new, new coaches so I, I think it uh you know just w- was kind of compounding errors there there at Georgia Tech and you know, I, I think Jeff Collins you know ha- had some good ideas initially it's just kind of the, the execution just did not kind of follow through and you know being in the ACC as, as much as we might talk about the ACC being down it's, it's you're still competing against you know coaches that they know what they're doing and, and they were <laughs> yeah. able to kind of exploit that uh, quite a bit um you know I, I think it does uh, help the attractiveness of, of georgia tech and just in, in terms of you know being competitive in in the acc uh moving forward but um you know this is this is a unique job and, and i think uh, not understanding some of the uniqueness that goes around and, and into it uh, was, was kind of their their first big misstep right away let's why don't we talk a little bit about what makes this unique and then i think we can talk maybe a little bit more about the administrative side since that's one of the things that makes this show different from everyone else kind of pontificating about who might take this gig. Georgia Tech has a couple of things on paper that would make you think this team should be good. They've won a national championship in college football in our lifetime. Now, we are old. You can look at the at the video here. You can see my gray hairs. I'm, I'm 35. I don't really remember the championship, but it did happen. It was not in the Paleolithic era of college football. It has a history 
Like in, in addition to being very good, then the Georgia Tech used to win lots of SEC games. They were competitive nationally for decades, and there are people that have lived in Atlanta for a long time. And remember, Georgia Tech not being uh, a team that might make the Birmingham Bowl, but a a, a, a capital T thing. You are also located, as we said before, in Atlanta. You are in a state that is, at this point, probably the fourth best state in producing uh, elite ta- college football talent or NFL caliber talent. It's ahead of Ohio. Um, and and not only that, but you are within, depending on how bad traffic is, two hours from most of those players. They're not all going to go to Georgia. They're not all going to go to Auburn or Alabama or Ohio State. So there's going to, there's there's local talent that's right there. And you have an academic brand that means something. So on paper, you look at all these things and you say, hey, you got a P5 budget too? This team should be good. Why haven't they been good in a long time? Besides the fact that they've maybe made some poor coaching hires, Brian, can you posit a reason why Georgia Tech, despite all those advantages that I just said, might struggle to reach its football potential? Well, I think you can kind of look back towards, you know, the, the ethos of the school, you know, in terms of investment, in terms of making football a priority. You know, I, I don't think it really has been. You know, I, I think Paul Johnson did his best to kind of take over the, the program and, and, and shepherd it and, and try to move it with his sheer will of, of force. Uh, and, and obviously that uh, ran into uh, some some issues with uh, both the ad- previous administrations and, uh, and, and the fan base in terms of just how he, he tried to run his program. But um, you know, honestly, I think over the years, this is a, a team that does have those those baked in advantages, but uh, just have not been able to quite put it all together in in, in a line in, in the right you know right time frame. You know that that that's the we've we talked about it how many times in this podcast. You know, alignment between football coach and AD and your school president, and I think that's kind of why really this this entire move is being made right now is that uh, they they want to kind of uh, do something to make sure that alignment is is set. Uh, you know, in, in in a much better way than than. It ever has been, uh, you know, there at Georgia Tech. And so that, that, that's part of the reason, you know, not not finding the right quarterbacks, you know, yeah, that that's that's contributing to the factor, you know, um, you know, playing in the option offense does kind of limit your ceiling a, a little bit just in terms of, um, you know, truly competing nationally. Yeah, they, they've they've been to the Orange Bowl uh, running that system, but uh, actually being a consistent team from from year to year uh, that, that is c- competing for the top of the ACC, that, that did kind of limit them uh, a little bit. But um, y- you got to also keep in mind that this is an engineering school. That you know, this, is, the, this is what I was getting to here it's not called georgia liberal arts this is georgia tech brother I, I mean, I, I think they, this is a, a, a university that kind of views some of their peers as your your Northwesterns and your Vanderbilts of the world, certainly, and and uh, even higher caliber you know schools than, than that. And and they they still want to play major power f- five football, but you got to take calculus, you got to take you know these these massive engineering classes. You're you're not getting a, a, a BA in, in basket weaving, you know, at, at Georgia Tech. That that is not a, a case. Is it is it easier than, than some other places like a Stanford to to get kids in? Yes, absolutely. You know, I think that that is something that the new coaches will understand. Understand that you know what we can get some talent coming in, but they're still going to have to have to do do well in the classroom. And, and you know, I think you can see that if, if you look over the history of Georgia Tech and some of the transfers they've had uh, going out. You know, I think that maybe you know it's, they they simply couldn't couldn't hack it in terms of uh, you know the rigorous academic load that uh, you're you're going to face at Georgia Tech. That's something you got to work around. And uh, you know, Paul Johnson was able to kind of find those right guys that that did want that and could play 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 football at, at, at an ACC caliber level. And um, you know, it's 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 a difficult and, and tricky spot uh, that they they've kind of got to navigate here but uh the, the bottom line is this is a a, a university that, that does take the academics seriously and um that, that can put a bit of a limiter on the on the football program itself yeah you, so i i think it's kind of 
the general fan base, and I think college football writers uh, struggle with this a little bit too, being a academically demanding school, it is not necessarily um, just we, we just look at the U.S. World Report rankings when we're talking about college football. So the dirty little secret here is you got the NCAA minimums for uh, admitting an athlete. And schools are then welcome to add a higher bar to admit an athlete. And then there are differences in curriculum uh, that the people take when they actually get there. So very broadly speaking, most Big Ten schools and most Pac-12 schools and many ACC schools have um, curriculum and entrance requirements that are above that of the NCAA minimum. It's why most of those schools generally don't recruit a lot of JUCO athletes. Um, you don't need now. I'm not saying that you need to have a, a 29 under ACT to play football at Ohio State. That's clearly not the case. Uh, and that was especially not the case in the early 1990s. But there are it it, it it is different than it might be at Marshall. And that's not me saying like Marshall's a bad place. Different schools have different institutional needs, right? Then once you get there, and 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 by the way, though how difficult it can be to admit somebody is not completely correlated with how good the school is. The 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 what I've heard from coaches over the years and from uh, other people in administrations is like in the Big Ten, the generally the school that's hardest to get somebody admitted to is Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a great school, but is it a lot better than Northwestern or Michigan? I, I wouldn't say that. They're, they're, it's probably a little bit below. But in terms of the math requirements and in terms of the um, alignment, so to speak, between administration and the athletic department, that's a difficult school to get into. One of the challenges at any place is math. Right. And, and uh, what kind of what, what what satisfies the math requirement, how much math somebody has to take. There's math that you could put somebody in uh, that is more accessible to a liberal arts major in other places. And just like you said, at Georgia Tech, you've got to take calculus. There's not a way to hide somebody who is less prepared, even if the admissions office says, sure, you're a special admit. You still got to pass that class. And and you know the, the maybe the least demanding major there might be business administration, which is not a beanbag kind of major. That is, I would say, from a curriculum standpoint, one of the most challenging situations in FBS outside of the service academies, outside of Stanford, um, but well, you, you up there with Stanford anybody else. There. Yeah, I, I think it, there there is a difficulty in, in terms of where the where the bar is the highest is is it getting kids in the door or is it once they're in the door is is it this is a good this is know, a, this the, the is bar, a, this is a good bar point. being high after that you know like yeah. I, I think stanford is a great example the high one of the highest bars you know i think in all of fbs is those stanford admissions and the admission process um, you know i think it, if david shaw had hair he would be pulling it out just knowing that uh, you know it does kind of limit that, that's the, why the he program. doesn't anymore yeah he yeah, used, yeah, he used to look like me yeah, he yeah. did. So uh, that, that, that's part of the reason. But, you know, I, I think if, if you talk with Stanford athletes, you know, yes, you're, you're Andrew Lux that take, uh, I forget what kind of engineering degree he, he pursued, but, you know, there are some that, that definitely kind of go after the, those massive degrees. But I, I think generally on campus at, at Stanford, you know, it, it's a little bit easier you, once you've done the, the front end work to, to get into to a place like that. Um, you know, the, the academic rigor, uh, it, I'm not saying that it, it, it's light or anything like that, but I'm just saying like in terms of course yeah. loads and things that you can kind of go through on, on a daily basis, how you craft your schedules, 
um, you know, it, it can be a little bit uh, easier than, say, uh, Georgia Tech, where, where you do have to kind of have certain requirements to hit certain degrees that uh, you have to take in, in those classes. And this is this is something that uh, is, is different at, at pretty much every place uh, around the country, right? This is why, you know, all these schools are unique and, and why you do go to, uh, you know, get the, these massive degrees. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, unique to college football in terms of where is that bar? Is, is it the, the guys coming in the door or is it after they've already stepped through and, and they're on campus that uh, you really have to kind of work with them and, and uh, kind of massage things a little bit to where, uh, you know, you not only have, have players to, that can play, but uh, you have players that are academically eligible as well. Yeah, the, the, you're, you're, this is a great point. It, this is different at, at other play, at, at it's, it's a different dynamic at lots of different schools. It's one that's been an issue at Georgia Tech for as long as I've followed college football and even researching and writing about college football. Like, I, I'm not going to profess to be a tech expert, but it, like in my book, there was a big section about tech's departure from the SEC and what the program looked like. And this was, you know, the, the kind of book on, on Bobby Dodd, you know, the, their, their, their great coach, you know, at the, their, their most successful era was that they had Dodd luck because they didn't have the size they didn't have the recruiting flexibility or the and or or the roster uh, flexibility. Dodd was f- very famous among coaches for not running people off, which is what everybody did and what most people still do. Um, so they didn't have the dudes, and they kind of won. Um, if you were somebody that was not inclined to look at tech favorably, you would say that you know they 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 got lucky, uh, or you know they were very good at engineering a thirteen ten kind of win. And when he left. Tech's had a couple of really good years, but I mean, I, listen, I got Sports Reference pulled up on another tab right here. They've never been consistent outside of like a four-year run with George O'Leary. Um, and that might mean with, with Paul Johnson, hey, you made the Orange Bowl a couple of times, and you went seven and six a lot. And you were a absolute pain in the ass seven and six that nobody wanted to play until kind of the end of that era when people finally started to figure it out after 10 years. Um, but you, I mean, you were seven to six under Chan Gailey. It was just a different kind of football. You were seven and six. Actually, you were worse than that under Bill Lewis. Like that, that's kind of what things are. So I, I don't, I, I say all this to say, like, I don't think Georgia Tech's an impossible job because I don't think the ACC is full of, uh, behemoths at every le- level. And I think there's lots of different ways to win football games besides just accumulating 45 five-star players. If you want to win the college football playoff in a 14 playoff era, that's the only way to win. But that's not what everyone here is trying to do. And I think if you ran into a Georgia Tech fan and said, hey, we want to sit down here as a department. We want to be not boring. And we want to um, you know, compete for the Peach Bowl or the Chick-fil-A Bowl. And, and at a special season, a little bit more than that. And we want to beat Georgia two out of 10 years or three out of 10 years. I think they'd say, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. And I don't think that's impossible to do. If you get not just the right coach, but the right AD and the right alignment, right? Does that that's that seems reasonable? Yeah, and I, and I think especially at a place like Georgia Tech, which you know Bobby Dodd Stadium is a great atmosphere when when they got things going. You know, like the people in Atlanta do support that team. Like I think there there is a lot of support for uh, Georgia Tech. You know, being operating, I guess, at a higher level, which they do in, in a lot of the other sports. You know, I think that it's, it's taken a while. They're awesome for- at volleyball. 
They're great at volleyball. You know, they, they have a, a lot of Olympic su- support success. Um, you know, I, I mean, you look at uh, basketball, certainly back in the, back in the day, they they, they made a, a couple of runs there in, in the tournament. I, I know that's been another source of frustration, you know, amongst uh, Yellow Jackets fans is just, you know, not having consistency with basketball as well. Um, you know, I think some of the issues that kind of haunt the football program also, are, you know, kind of plague the, the basketball program in terms of consistency and, um, you know, not find, finding the right coaches is, is uh, you know, key in, in both sports to, to kind of navigate that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a school that, um, you know, based on those inherent advantages, they, they should be punched just a little bit above their weight, uh, even with some of the restrictions that they have to operate under. Let's talk about those restrictions for a second about the first hire that Georgia Tech needs to make. And defining what makes a good athletic director, I think, is honestly really challenging because unlike a good football, with a good football coach, you can look at the scoreboard. And, and ultimately, like, that's very clearly, you know, uh, able to be, you can, you can define that. That's in, they put it in the paper, their standings, and that's ultimately what most coaches are evaluated on. For being an AD, not only you have a gajillion programs, sometimes you hire the coaches. Sometimes, as, as, as you very well know, and, and maybe our more astute listeners know, sometimes the AD doesn't really hire the coach, right? Sometimes that's a, a regent or a booster or a search firm or some other party. But that AD also has to do fundraising. That AD has to find staffers for all different levels of this apparatus and set a vision. And I think in many ways you can look at tech and say, wow, you know, they have been successful and, and articulated a vision of what they want to do in many Olympic sports. They have raised money. Um, I have been told that they haven't raised as much money as as they as maybe some people think that they should uh, or, or maybe what they need. Uh, but you know, that, that's, that, that's been what's happening here. But it's difficult to achieve the rest of your department goals if football's really not working, if you're not at a place where those other sports are money cannons. And that's not really the kind of place that Georgia Tech is. There's, there's a lot of Tech alumni. They're not all super plugged into sports. And a lot of the sidewalk, potential people you could engage as sidewalk alumni are Georgia fans. Or honestly, in Atlanta these days, they're like Ohio State fans because they moved to Georgia from from Columbus or from uh, you know Toledo or from any other SEC place. Oh yeah, so, it, is, yeah. It, is the, it is the great melting pot uh, there in Atlanta among especially the SEC fan bases. But you're, you're yeah, right, increasingly yeah. among uh, some of those Big Ten schools and, and from schools up north. But you know, I think in terms of what the the next AD um, you know is looking at and, and inheriting, you know, you look at uh, this f- football only just in terms of football spending. This is one of the smaller, you know, lower resourced, you know, football programs, you know, in, in the ACC. Yeah. You know, they're, they're in the bottom four, uh, depending on what year it is and, and who's doing what in terms of facilities upgrades. But, you know, like I, I would say generally they're they're on the, the lower end and that needs to change. You know, if, if they want to make this this a priority to, um, you know, keep increasing things. I, I think this is, a you know, not only being in Atlanta and, and all the, the benefits that brings, but, you know, from from a corporate sponsorship standpoint, from just an eyeball standpoint, you know, that this is a job that has a whole lot of baked in advantages that, that awake for or even an NC State does not have. And so I think when you look at some of your peers that you're competing with in your conference, you know, I, I think you know, the Georgia Tech job you know, stacks up pretty favorably. I, I think this will be one that uh, you know a lot of people are going to keep their eyes opening. I, I wouldn't be surprised if an, an existing AD is, is going to be the choice just because that they do want somebody that, that has that experience and, and, and can bring some life into this program. But you know, the bottom line is 
for, for all those those things that you can take advantage of, they have not been yet uh, necessarily at Georgia Tech. And so I think uh, alignment will be key in, in yeah. making sure that you can say, you know what, we, we, we've got to fundraise. We've got to pump some money into the football program. We, we've got to make sure that staff resources are there in terms of academic support. You know, I mean, that's that's a, that's a big thing. Um, you know, making sure that uh, we have tutors lined up, making sure that, uh, you know, our athletic training staff is, is, is top notch and sports performance, um, you know, which, which they do have a pretty good program there facilities. And, you know, another thing that probably needs some, some upgrades here and there. I, I remember, I think it was a couple of years ago at the end of the Paul Johnson era, they, they upgraded the, their, their locker rooms and it was like, Oh, this is, this is so good. And, you know, they were kind of still behind the time. So you, you kind of got to, got to take it all and, and, and evaluate it. And that's something that the next AD is going to have to do. Yeah, that the, actually, I think the next, the first three years of whoever takes over tech is going to be this really fascinating case study because I've written a lot that facilities don't matter as much as coaches and maybe some like outside like regions and everything think that they might for recruiting, but you can't be so far behind everybody else that that becomes a distracting talking point. Um, as an example, if you're in a warm weather place and you don't have an indoor practice facility, if you don't have a place where, where, you, where you can go where it's not going to be at 104 degrees or you're playing on a 40-yard field, that is something that would set you apart. If you are in the bottom three of the ACC, you might need to make some changes. But given that you have a limited amount of rich people right now and a limited revenue stream, whether that's from broadcast television or anything else or you know, tech starting like this venture capital fund to invest in, 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 in sports startups and who knows what, if that works or anything. But you also now have the NIL component. So I think this is going to be an interesting case study. Do you try to take your limited resources and go move very aggressively into um, direct compensation for people currently on the roster or to help people get to the roster? Or do you put that into your infrastructure that people can't necessarily see, which can be very valuable? Your dietitians, your 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 trainers, your mental health support specialists. Or do you put that in the stuff that people can see? Or do you put the stuff in that, that people can see, even if you know it doesn't really matter, as a signaling device that you're serious to get other people to kick in money? That's a complicated question. I, I mean, we've both heard from ADs that have said, eh, maybe this facility project that we would have done in 2017, maybe we don't do it now, and we put that money somewhere else. It will be, I'm not sure what, what makes the most sense for, for what tech. So I match everyone interv interviewing for this gig. I don't think you necessarily have to be an Atlanta person or an ACC person or a Southerner. I think you do need to be able to have some experience uh, with um, universities that have demanding academic standards. Um, you need to be able to speak professor, speak faculty, speak to, to that constituency because that's part of your gig. And you need to know how to win football games without having as much talent as all of your opponents. A lot of, a lot of particular ways to skin that cat I mean, or, or, or for, for that coach, right? A, a, lot, or a lot of particular ways to skin that cat. I want to talk about who some of those coaches may or may not be because uh, I know we both have some strong opinions about that. But before we do, I do want to quickly highlight somebody else that uh, knows a thing or two about sending a culture and providing something for folks, uh, even if it's not the most expensive thing on the market. It's not a great segue, but I'm not Alex Kirshner. Oh, let's talk about let's talk about Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, our title sponsor, the patron of this program, uh, a major pillar of of our community, of weird college football uh, Twitter community, of of um, you know appreciating just weird college sports stuff. That's Homefield. They make shirts. They make sweatshirts. You've heard me talk about them a gajillion times. I'm wearing an Ohio State shirt right now. This is a Going for Two podcast. I'm wearing one that says because I couldn't go for three. Uh, we got the go tops right there with the uh, the the monster from the depths of hell that walked off the set of Sesame Street to terrorize uh, 
conference hey, now, USA. Big, Big Red's coming off a uh, seventy-three to nothing win, so I think he, he's he, uh, he's, he's, doing enti- right he's entitled to that. I, I know I feel bad about about rubbing in how bad FIU is given our, our ties to that program, but yeah, Western Kentucky doing pretty good. Um, Ohio State would have gone for three, I think, if they could have against Wisconsin um, at the at the end of touchdowns. They make all this great stuff. They're dropping my favorite G five program this week, the East Carolina Pirates. Um, purple and gold is a tough color combination. I don't look good in it. I'm going to buy some of this stuff anyway because I deeply love the Pirates um, and the connections to the Brown and Figueredo household. We will be supporting them. Uh, they just dropped the first conference uh, swag. They have the the vintage Big Sky logo, which I joked is the greatest logo that looks like a Boy Scout merit badge or maybe like a 2014 like SB Nation logo. Um, it, is, it is pretty cool. They got a bunch of great stuff. And you can get that. You can support all the mid-majors. You can support the high-majors. You can support the Division 2s and the Division 3s at homefieldapparel.com. And when you do, if you haven't already, get your friend who hasn't done it yet because you listening to the show, you probably have. Use promo code EXTRAPOINTS to save 15% off that order. Listen, fellas, friends, we're getting very close to hoodie season wherever you live, unless you live in Texas, and then hoodie season's coming hopefully a little bit later. Make sure you're prepared. Get some very soft, very snuggly stuff from homefieldapparel.com. Um, we got to talk about who they're going to hire. Because we've just established, hey, this is a unique gig. You have some geographic advantages. You've got some historical advantages. You have a league that's not impossible to finish in the top three. It's going to be hard to beat Clemson. Uh, hard to beat Florida State if they get their shit together, which it looks like they might be. But it's you know it's not, it's not the AFC West or whatever. Um, but difficult place to recruit. You don't have a ton of money. You have a, a, a weird university constituency situation. Who's the guy that everybody seems to want to hire right now, Brian? Well, that'd be the uh, prime, prime time, Deion Sanders. What do you think about that? I think that is a disconnection to knowing the university, and and for a lot of the reasons that we just talked about. You know, I, like I, I totally get why you want to connect. You know, in, in a vacuum, Georgia Tech to somebody like Deion Sanders, right? You know, it's yeah. like, we, we understand he was an, an Atlanta star. He resonates in that city like probably nobody, no other athlete, maybe even even outside Michael Vick perhaps would, would come close. Yeah. Um, given, given the ending there, maybe maybe not so much, but like like there, there, there's just like nobody in terms of that star power that, uh, you know, would resonate not only with, with folks our age, but, you know, I think even, even a, a little bit younger, uh, especially now with what he's been able to do there at Jackson state landing, you know, the nation's number one recruit, you think, all right, well, if, if you just take him and you add the star power of, of Atlanta, um, and, and meld those two things together. Yeah. It does make perfect sense from the outside, but I, I, I just don't think that, that Deion Sanders, uh, if, if he's looking to, to make the leap, you know, to, to a power five gig, which it, it does sound like he wants to, you know, really was is, is going to want to get into the fights about how many special admits admits of of recruits that he wants to get in. You know, like I, I just don't think that's necessarily what he's is is, is going to be looking for in the next program. Maybe he just wants to move back to Atlanta. I, I totally get that, but you know, I, I think the the disconnection between what I, I think Dion ultimately wants to do, which is compete for championships. So I, I think he's made no secret about that in terms of um, you know his aspirations. You know, and, and where he wants to go. I, I don't necessarily think that, that Georgia Tech, at least in, in this phase right now, uh, would, would really kind of fit what, what he brings to the table. I, I think there are a lot of good candidates, though, but but I think you know everybody's focusing there on on, on Dion 
being connected to this job. And, and I'm just I'm just not kind of seeing it from from the administration standpoint, from the school standpoint, from the kind of inherent restrictions versus, you know, if, if an Auburn when, when Auburn comes comes open, you know, I, I think he'll, he'll find that a little bit more amenable uh, to taking that job versus this one. Yeah, I I I, I want to I want to preface. I think you're just you're on to something. Here. I want to I want to preface this by saying, um, like everybody else, I do not know exactly who's going to make a, to be a good football coach. Stuff that looks like it makes a lot of sense has, on paper. Has, has that not uh, been been reinforced I, by the, the recent coaching I, cycles? Right, I, right. And, and so I want to I want to I want to beat that in again. Right, like so I you can look at the data, but football is a weird thing, and sometimes Scott Frost doesn't work out, or Harbaugh almost doesn't work out until he does. And I understand that. Hey, listen, if you are somebody that believes in the general argument that Jeff Collins was making about how it's important to lean into this brand and rebrand what you're trying to do and, and create a different identity around Georgia Tech. There is nobody in the entire country, um, even if you poach somebody from the NFL, that could do that better than Deion Sanders. If, if you thought the problem was execution, the idea was good, this is your guy um, who's done that enormously well at Jackson State. I have to admit, like I was a pretty big skeptic of him working out at Jackson State. Um, and by all means, even though it has, there, there, you, you take the bad with the good, and the good has has, has been overwhelmingly uh, you more more than more than the bad, and they're they're going to be very good again this year. And I think if Deion Sanders went to Georgia Tech, their ability to acquire talent, particularly in the transfer portal, assuming they could get everybody they needed to be successful in school, would go up quite a bit. Um, I I want to be careful how I say this here. Like I, if you're going to hire Deion Sanders. I think that you, what you want to do is have an institution that is prepared to help mitigate some of the excesses um, in PR or in messaging or anything else that might come with that. So as an example, the, the story that I think a lot about is when Deion Sanders had his very first game at Jackson State. They're hosting like some Division II team. And the main story from that game, if you remember correctly, was not anything that happened on the field. It was Deion Sanders freaking out about so, so people stealing something from the locker room. And Jackson State, their sports information department, and as an institution, they were not prepared for anything close to the amount of press and attention they were going to be getting with bringing on Deion Sanders. And so like that suddenly all went to that guy. And there are very good things that come from that, and there are things that will make university ministers' hair fall out. And there are things that you can get away with at Jackson State and with Jackson State's peer institutions that uh, will be different at, a, at PWIs in the ACC. And I, I say this not to say that like one is better than the other, just that there's different attention and different constituencies and different people who have different issues with, with, with behavior. Um, so I think you want to be at a place where you have enough of an infrastructure to protect what and, and help your football coach do what he does really, really well and uh, and, and help limit the, uh, the, the possibilities of, of doing, right? Like, to have a two-day news cycle of you f- flipping out at a reporter at Media Day because they called you Dion instead of Coach is not a thing that's going to play as well in the ACC uh, with a much larger press corps and a, and a much more skeptical populace. Now, I could say said all that and you could look say at Auburn and go, but that's like the most dysfunctional environment and, and booster culture in college football. I got a place where Dan Sanders could win a national championship. It's a place where he can invite a congressional investigation, maybe both. So I, I mean, I, I, I see things both ways. I, I under, I understand the appeal, but I think I would share your concern for somebody that, uh, I, that would probably not be who I would, who I would go for. I do, uh, agree with my, with my, my friend, Richard Johnson, who wrote Sports Illustrated. Like, you know, if you, if you do want to lean into changing your culture a little bit, 
Um, Georgia Tech's never had a black football coach. And there are plenty of other black football coaches who are not Deion Sanders and who are not just recruiters, but talented schematic minds um, and administrators in their own right who may be a better fit for what for what Georgia Tech is trying to do. That may be something you decide as a staff, as an institution, to make a priority. Um, yeah. As I thought. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you're, you're totally right, especially, you know, just taking on the, the presence of Dion is going to be a little bit different for a place like Auburn versus a place like Georgia Tech. And, you know, I, I think it, it, it is going to be interesting to see what kind of, um, you know, uh, names kind of get in the mix here. I mean, I, I think I've already heard that, you know, Del McGee's name, Brian McClendon uh, over there at Georgia, understanding uh, that those those are two guys that I think are going to be in the mix for, for uh, several openings just based on, on their success there with the Bulldogs. You know, does Georgia Tech want to kind of poach from uh, their in-state rival, you know, knowing it is a much different job? You know, we, we'll, we'll see what, how the interview process is, is going to play out. I, I think, you know, you, Charles Huff right now uh, is, is a name that I've heard as well. You know, he, he does kind of bring, uh, you know, that Alabama pedigree, uh, having success there at Marshall in, in a quick time frame, um, you know, been there, been there for a couple of years. So he understands, you know, kind of how to, how to get a program off the ground. I, I think that would be a, a big fit. I, I would be curious. I, I think that the first name to my mind though, is, is uh, actually kind of Jamie Chadwell. You know, if you want to kind of at least understand yeah. that you got to maximize talent at a place like that, he, he's done that at, at Coastal. And, um, you know, I think in the ACC, his, his, his system, especially with a good quarterback, uh, like he has now in, in Grayson McCall, uh, I, I think it could work. I think he won quite a few games and, and it's at least a link to kind of the past and what Georgia Tech has found success with uh, there, although it's in a much different different uh, environment. I think you know that that running that option and, and, and his system, the, the way he calls plays, uh, with the upgraded talent from not only Metro Atlanta, but from the state of Georgia, from the South, you know, go, reaching down, grabbing more Florida athletes. I, I think that could be, um, you know, a pretty dynamite con- conversation, but it's all going to come down to essentially what the AD hire is. And, and I think that will tell us a lot in terms of the direction that Georgia Tech is, is looking for. If they get somebody that is, um, you know, very progressive AD and, and somebody who is, you know, kind of football first, then yeah, you know, maybe, maybe some of those other candidates that, that we think of, you know, like it, like a Deion Sanders could, could become a little bit more re- in part of the re- reality uh in, in terms of the coaching search itself if not you know i think if it's a traditional candidate maybe somebody um you know who, who does have that traditional experience uh, as, as a maybe a group of five ad and eh, you know maybe 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 we're looking at a, at a more um you know straightforward kind of coaching search i like jamie chadwell a lot just because i like watching that football team and uh i the culture that has been built at coastal which feels uh Maybe not totally congruent with Georgia Tech. This is something I would say with, with love. What, what we see on the outside about Coastal Carolina is it is a, a delightfully and fun but unrefined kind of place. With a lot well, of, I mean, yeah, yeah. Jamie's Jamie's a, a, a Southern guy. You know, he's from Tennessee. You know, yeah. he, he embraces the, the life of the mullets. Um, you know, he embraces the life down there in Myrtle. So yeah, um, professional you know, wrestlers and going through tables and I, 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 I uh, right and and. Not to say you can't do those. Not to say at Georgia Tech you have to go in there and talk about Aristotle and and and. But like, you you could potentially do those things. They are fun to watch. That is a more modern offspring of the Paul Johnson offense that tries to do similar things, but maybe not the exact same thing that you've done for a decade. Yeah, and I think Jamie, along with Dion, are probably two of the more intriguing candidates throughout this entire coaching carousel. Yeah. You know, I, I think Jamie's interviewed with you know a couple of positions here or there uh, these last couple of years as, as Coastal has kind of risen up the, the ranks and, and won the Sun Belt. And 
know, I think there's some hesitancy among some ADs, you know, hiring somebody who really is not recruited at a power five level, you know, has, has not been at, a, at an institution like that, um, you know, in, in a major decision making way. And yeah, the, the same is, is true with Dion, but uh, Dion brings so much more than, than kind of the uh, outside of just the, the football realm that you also have to consider. So I think it's those are two two of the really intriguing names, I think, in the, in the coaching carousel, because there's, there's not that kind of one true hot candidate that, that every school is just going to be fawning themselves over. There's, there's no kind of Tom Herman from a couple of years ago or a Scott Frost uh, from, from a couple of years ago. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's a good thing. I was about we've, to say, we've seen, we've seen how those, those have turned out. Those, recently, those, so. those guys have it. And some of the people that we kind of laughed at as like the fourth tier hires ended up turning out pretty well, which just goes to show we don't know shit. So maybe it's, it's good to hire somebody off the beaten path because the beaten path hasn't necessarily produced great results. Um, I, I maybe get to, I, maybe I'll throw in a note here in, in the show notes to Richard's piece. Like, uh, just real quick, a couple other people that uh, he has suggested besides Charles Huff. Um, Marshall has struggled since beating Notre Dame, but he's you know, he's a new guy there. They've been out, they've been out with, with without some some key players yeah. as well these last. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, and I don't think that was a necessarily turnkey win eleven games kind of situation anyway, which is which is fine. Um, Florida State's Alex Atkins, I think, has done a pretty good job. Ryan Walters is doing a good job at Illinois. And then uh, Richard says, hey, you might, you might look at the NFL a little bit, too. There's a couple of assistants for the Rams with Eric Henderson and Thomas Brown. I think they both have Georgia ties um, and, and might, might, be, might, might be a fit as well. Well, I, I don't know if Richard mentioned it, but uh, Pep, Pep Hamilton, um, you know, a lot of NFL experience. It was it was at Stanford for, for a long time, but at Michigan, um, some other place. So he's, he knows, you know, kind of what uh, that that kind of academic and and athletic component is, is going to be. And, and I would imagine you, you're going to hear Bill O'Brien's name come up quite a bit for for Power Five openings, um, you know, this this offseason as well. No, you you, de- you definitely will. Uh, Bill O'Brien's representation has not been shy about letting people know that Bill O'Brien is available for jobs. Um, that's that's always the other kind of weird thing about this whole just as a news consumer at this cycle, right? Because agents and search firms and those third parties um, are often the sources for this kind of information. And that isn't to say that that information's wrong, but we also have to evaluate, hey, if you see a guy that, that you're a little confused by that seems to pop up at every one of these searches, there's getting a lot of reporters tweeting about it, you might have to think for a second, I wonder who's benefiting from that. Uh, one of the, of course, side effects that happens during the coaching search season. And it might be a little bit weird without an, an obvious gigantic school uh, leading the market. A lot of people are going to get raises uh, from this world. Uh, people who are not necessarily looking for another job, but maybe need to, it needs to appear in public that they are. So well, just I, I to agree think with about. what you're you're hinting about uh, there there with Bill O'Brien, but I, I think the the track record, you know, certainly what he was able to do at Penn State does, yeah. does speak for itself. I mean, I don't I don't think he's a bad winner. football coach. Yeah, I, so he developed a Heisman Trophy winner. I think his, his gruff edges, if you will uh, term it as that, uh, is, is going to be a little bit off putting to some programs, but others will embrace that uh, kind of aspect too. So I think there's kind of some some things that uh, you, you got to take and uh, give and take as part of these coaching searches, and yeah. uh, there there will be enough that that there will be an, an intriguing enough candidate list uh, for, for all of them that's for sure that is true so my hope my pollyannish hope is that nobody gets fired next week um not that i don't enjoy spending some time digging into specific cl- and it, it does it does uh work well for the news cycle to kind of space this out and only have one school each week it would be nice if maybe we had a week where that didn't happen i'm knocking on wood um i'm, I'm going to call, call my shot i think we're going to go two weeks before the next person gets fired that is bold. That is, that I'm is bold. Agree. I'm not going to agree you're not, with you're, you're, that, okay. that, That's fine. That's fine. Um, and, and I'm not saying that this isn't because people on the hot seat don't deserve it. 
Uh, I'm just saying that, hey, maybe the ball bounces a certain way or it takes another extra week for someone's check to clear uh, before you can, you can move something here. That That is my educated hypothesis. We will have other things to talk about. One of the things that, uh, you know, speaking of recruiting and fit and alignment and everything, uh, Brian, you recently had another episode of your head coach, you, where you talked with Bronco Mendenhall about some of these similar things. A guy that is going to be mentioned, um, probably not for Auburn, but maybe for Georgia Tech. Uh, uh, you know what? He, he's talked quite a bit about um, you know the academic component. Certainly was was there at Virginia. Um, I, I think his name and, has. And I've, BYU, I've seen for a, being honest, yeah, yeah, you know, I, same, I've seen but... his name pop up here and there in, in terms of various candidate lists and all that. And uh, I, I think it would be in, intriguing uh, a little bit to him. Maybe not quite the the cultural fit there in, at, at Metro Atlanta. The, the maybe some other spots that, that might come up in this cycle, but. He, he could definitely get in the mix, um, you know, and, and I think he would do a good job there, you know, knowing those limitations, knowing how how much development, um, you know, is, is going to be a big thing at, at uh, Georgia Tech. But yeah, uh, this this week we we kind of talked about recruiting, which is obviously the lifeblood of any any program, and yep. uh, it was great to hear some of his stories, some of the things that he wishes were were different in terms of you know offering scholarships and all that. It, it was great to kind of nail him down in terms of you know what is that process like from you know watching the film to how you kind of offer kids, um, you know what what that means at, at programs like BYU versus you know Virginia and, and others that uh, he, he's been at so um you know if you want to kind of get in, into the weeds of, of recruiting um you know by by all means uh, uh listen into head coach you subscribe wherever you get this here podcast uh, we, we had an earlier episode about nil and kind of governance changes uh so we, we're rolling right along and we'll uh, get some some guests going here uh, not in the not too distant future yeah i i think what we may actually end up doing is if you if you are subscribed to this podcast which you should be um, especially if you're listening to this 40 minutes into it. You may see a couple of head coaches pop up in that feed. We're trying to kind of cross-promote a lot of the stuff that we're doing across our, our different little audio projects. Um, and then we are going to sit back here, and not that I don't enjoy talking to you, Brian, but also try to, to, to take the time in our very busy schedules to bring on some other folks with unique perspectives about what's happening. And, and maybe beyond just college football, too, because there's a lot of other things going on that we have maybe been a little bit remiss uh, even if even even if we've been doing that on Connect and on extra points in other places, um, this week on extra points we uh, I sat down and interviewed a bunch of different athletes in the A10. I talked to folks at LaSalle and at Dayton. Talked to a couple of athletic directors. Talked to folks at St. Louis about what NIL looks like for people that don't have gigantic collectives supporting them. Um, interesting thing about that is that nobody I talked to has done a single deal with any kind of online marketplace. There's nothing on open doors, nothing with no cap, nothing with influencer and, and on, on that back end. They've all found deals in different places. And we talked about what that means and how the conference is trying to support them some more. Um, and on Monday, I wrote a big missive uh, from our kind of, uh, you know, jokey posting world where uh, I looked at the funniest team that each Power 5 opponent has never beaten. Because I forgot about that. I mean, I, I didn't realize this until over the weekend. When Middle Tennessee beat Miami, that wasn't the first time they've done that. They're 3-0 against Miami. Western Kentucky has multiple wins against Miami and, and, and no losses. Uh, so I, I looked this up for everybody. It was great seeing all the the pre flights that yeah. uh, everybody had lost to. Yeah, it, 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 uh, the, those in the YMCA's I think are wonderful. <laughs> yeah. For for my alma mater, um, Ohio State needs to schedule Air Force again and Cornell. I think I think Cornell. Well, that, that was like the to... other thing going through the list. I was like, you know, what? I, I wish some of the ads would, would go through this and say, you know, what? we got we got to get back to uh, to to playing in Air Force or, or playing some of the the teams that you would think would be would be an interesting matchup. Nowadays. Yeah, uh, listen, if you're Rice. 
under no circumstances should you schedule anybody. You need to claim scoreboard on Alabama until the test of time. You need to make shirts that say, why does Rice play Alabama? Because it's easy. And, the, and you know, and, and, and don't mess with any of that. You want to be a, a 400-level historical program that's undefeated against Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and a whole bunch of other, uh, other schools. Take that to your grave. Everybody else... Avenge your embarrassing losses like Michigan did with Appalachian State. You can find all of that at extrapointsmb.com. Um, we're working on a couple other fun things I'm excited about. Uh, or whether that's the Athletic Director Simulator 3000, which I'm hoping will be ready in a little bit. A couple other uh, more reported NIL stories. Uh, some other business things that we're working on that I hope to be able to share soon. And uh, exciting things on this podcast and on Collegiate Sports Connect. So you can find that on Spotify. You can find that on YouTube. You can find that on Collegiate Sports Connect's free. All of our stuff's over there. But a lot of the athletic director interviews I did at Lead One are now uploaded. You can, you can see those. And um, we'll be back in touch with you on the internet again very soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon.